So this uh, Kamatana, <coughs> means uh, making a foundation on action engagement. <coughs> Engaging with the realm of direct experience. What is direct experience is that which is felt. Mm. And we make an engagement with that which is felt. Mm. We're acting subtly, behaviorally emotionally, with attention, with energy, with mindfulness, with letting go, always just aligning ourselves, balancing, adjusting, steadying, sensing, that's what I mean by engagement, just that sense of what is with, what's going on as it happens, and yeah, you know, a lot of it perhaps doesn't fit to come into place. Okay, we just wait. Let things settle. Let the blizzards settle, and see what comes up that we can actually. Any one of us can. Ah, oh, yeah, this is the one. If it's felt, and one of them will come up. Something will come up that's directly felt. You know, and you see, there's probably a number of them: emotional, physical, psychological, behavioural, memory. Some of the other, boom, there it is, you know. Okay, <laughs> here we go. Again, <laughs> so the being, how can to be with this? Whether strange, inexplicable, how much we think it's in the past, and so what? <laughs> here it is, sitting right in front of you, you know. Okay, breathing in, breathing out, entering the field, the bodily field, steadying, calming, strengthening. Building up that capacity for engagement. Now, that's really, you know, the advice that I would I can give everyone all the time. The rest of it changes, but the advice I give everyone all the time is, you know, like if you're a warrior or a nurse, whatever you see, so you prepare yourself. You don't you don't get in there until you've got your kit together. You know. You've got to get your strength together, your ground together. Then you can start to handle some of these uh, <coughs> experiences which may be quite poignant, confusing, nagging, irritating, embarrassing, whatever. You know, They're there because we haven't been able to actually handle them properly yet. This is a cleansing process. And sometimes one comes in retreat, thinks, oh, I'm pretty fine, I'm okay, nothing, yeah, sit, have some meditation. Day three, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I've got news for you, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I've dealt with that, you know, you didn't, you thought you dealt with it. <laughs> <laughs> it comes again. <laughs> okay, here we go again. <laughs> Strengthening. Because they come up with different potencies, some of these issues come up and we think we've kind of got through it, we've got through it on one level and then it comes again, perhaps it's slightly weak and it keeps coming. And then, you know, you don't know if it's finished until it's finished. Yeah. 
that it's effortless. Kamatana, a mysterious uh, process of practice. So, you know, you may very well have systems and, and techniques and meditation skills, which is great. Um, mostly I teach a process rather than a technique. <clears throat> you know. Okay, so with some little tips and skills. Now one point, the direct experience is that which is felt. It means there's a certain sense of vibrancy, of aha, uh-huh. it, it touches as a movement, a chitta moves, it's felt. It may be pleasant, unpleasant, or a vibration between pleasant and neutral, or unpleasant or whatever. You know? And your mind can make something out of it, your mind can spin a story out of it, but that's what's happened something's hit, there's a resonance, and then this stuff starts happening. And generally what will happen with, with most, um, you know, confusing, difficult feeling is the mind abstracts. It, it, it seeks refuge by abstracting. And abstracting means we start to think about it. And there's a sense of separating from the immediate felt level, because the immediate felt level is the uncomfortable and disorienting. And our self-image doesn't handle it very well. Like you can't handle it. So, so it tends to abstract. We're going to, oh well, that was yesterday, and he's like that, and, I'm, and so what? And there we go, you know. <laughs> and it's abstracted because it's kind of it's so relatively safe. It hasn't actually been dealt with until you go back to the feeling level where you start to dissolve. Your self-image starts to dissolve, and you're entering into the feeling experience, the felt experience comes down to that. There's a beautiful sutta and the Buddha came out with some pretty staggering um, teachings actually that you can spend decades looking at and thinking, wow, what is that? And uh, it just rolls this stuff out. There's one I was looking at I would go back to time and time again trying to get it. And uh, it's in the Book of the Nines uh, uh, numerical discourse uh, 58. It says, all dhammas, dhamma is a direct experience, a moment of direct experience. It's not really a thing, it's a moment of direct experience. Um, All dhammas are born of desire or born out of interest, not necessarily bad desire, but just a sense of ah, enthusiasm, motivation, interest. come into being, are rooted, sorry, rooted in desire, <coughs> come into being, your attention, well up, originate with contact, start welling up. Yeah. This is when it starts to infuse us. Yeah. You see something, oh, that's interesting, and then, whoa, it starts to well up. This is happening to me all the time. Look at something, oh, mm-hmm. oh. It's nice. There's <laughs> a welling up of something or the other, pleasant, painful, it's welling up, contact. It's hit me, it's entered. Yeah. Converge on feeling. That's a powerful statement. It means all direct experience, whether it's near or far, thought, conceived, 
future past, it all comes down to this one gate called feeling. That means when it get when it when it enters and gets you there's a feeling. It means it's pleasant, painful, neutral. It brings the compounded universe <laughs> down to one point. And it says it's headed by concentration. There's a moment when we fixate. This isn't Samar Samadhi interest. This is just the, the universal faculty we all have. For one moment, we're fixed on that point. Oh. And then, as with the Buddha, they are mindfulness exercises <coughs> authority over them. Mindfulness exercises authority over them. Yeah. They are supervised by wisdom. Uh-huh. Liberation is their core. This is what I'm struggling. <laughs> Liberation is their core. They merge in the deathless. Their consummation is nirvana. There you go. Just kind of like just I let my mind move across that range, and you know it starts out, and then it's where did that go? <laughs> you know, liberation. They are. But the priest has the piece to focus on, <coughs> converge on feeling. This is direct experience. Converges on feeling. It gives rise to a, a, some kind of quality of pleasure, pain, agreeable, disagreeable. Don't like that. Like to get over it. Uh, hope this will pass. Uh, but feeling is generally nestled inside a whole set of proliferation, abstraction. Which means, says, oh, it isn't time to do this right now. <laughs> that's one of them. Oh, that was yesterday. That, oh, that's somebody else's concern. Oh, it's nothing to do with me. Um, oh, well, I'd better grow out of it. Oh, well, feelings aren't important anyway. <laughs> There's some sort of little shell that goes around that feeling and says, don't touch this. You know? And you, we begin to abstract. And I've seen this happen time and time again in myself, when I can't handle feeling emotion it goes into this well uh, never mind much <laughs> 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 like that <laughs> something like that and because this abstraction process is what's called papancha and it's the real it's our most powerful enemy actually it's in a way it's what the, the mind can do that takes us out of the field now you know and I was saying yesterday, okay, your field really includes the immaterial and the material. The field of direct experience includes the immaterial and the material. Because everything that's directly experienced has some kind of con- contact, otherwise you can't experience it. Whether it's a rock, or a traffic warden, or whatever it is, a penguin, there's some sort of sense of, uh-huh, and then something happens, it enters. It doesn't necessarily mean it's earth-shaking, but some kind of aha, uh-huh, and there's a feeling. Most of it just, so what, just moves on. Some of it sticks, you know. This is our karmic thing, is to recognise the pieces that stick. And to begin to <coughs> supervise them with mindfulness. And that's the, so whether it's, uh, now in some ways there's no difference between a thought and a rock. And they're just different ranges on that spectrum. We can 
experience a thought and feel shattered by it. Some thoughts are extremely painful to, to bear in mind. Think of the suffering of the world, sometimes it just takes your breath away. It's a direct experience. Sometimes it'd be better to be hit by a rock than be hit by a thought. <laughs> yeah, so on that level, level of pleasure and pain, there's not much difference between a thought and a rock. Yeah. And conversely, of course, we can build good thoughts and we can use rocks to build helpful shelters, so they're not necessarily bad, but they are, they are the same category of direct experience. The problem is, or the big issue is that uh, thought, unlike rocks, proliferates. It's, it's, the, it's the springboard for proliferation. This is where, of course, most of us meditators find ourselves struggling with thought, overwhelming thought. How do I deal with my thoughts? Thinking too much, too much thinking. Well, yeah. Now, really, it's, you've got to go to the origin of the thought. The origin and the converging. So we start with the feeling underneath the thought. And this takes some time to do take some skills to do but the topic is that if we if our inclination as most of us can be I'm sure is to abstract in order to not feel the difficulty not feel overwhelmed to maintain our self image to feel we're on top of it all we're controlling it we're okay well this is normal isn't it that abstraction is a very uh, natural but also unenlightening uh, process and it can be downright destructive when you really with the mind really really abstracts when you get idea ideologues yeah who come out with things like um, what's one of them favorite is collateral damage <laughs> it means innocent people are getting bombed <laughs> yeah, collateral damage or friendly fire is another one <laughs> It means you end up shooting your own troops, you know? And so, you know, so you kind of wrap it up in something, you're abstract. Yeah. And our ideologues, where you get this idea of, um, you know, the good, the bad, wicked people, we have to do this for the welfare of the nation, kind of stuff. And generally, at the end of the line, somebody's getting trashed. Mm. Uh, but we don't go to that, we go to the abstraction level. So our... This abstraction is an extremely uh, damaging process. Mm. You know, when you look at some of the big horrors humans have committed, it's through abstraction. Yeah, sure, we, you know, we've got bodies that can strangle and stab, but we don't strangle and stab uh, rarely unless we abstract. We abstract into she's this and I'm that, then we can strangle and stab. If we come into real mutuality, we can't do it anymore. We just feel hurt and sad and confused and desperate and whatever. We don't. We can't do that. Well, maybe you know if you get overwhelmed with passion, but by and large, it doesn't happen. But the real destruction is caused by people calmly and coolly and logically figuring out. You know how to organise things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You could something like you know, I was looking at because you know this kind of Iraq Syrian problem, and somewhere in this kind of 
way back and is one of the contributing factors. This, there was this kind of empire, the Ottoman Empire, and <coughs> after the end of the First World War, that all sort of broke up, split up. So a couple of people, Frenchmen and Englishmen, thought, got a map. And, okay, yeah, well, we draw a line here on the map. This side is Syria and this side is Iraq. There's a nice, so when you see straight lines on maps, you can recognise that's cut through somebody's village <laughs> or somebody's land. So suddenly, you, oh, I'm an Iraqi now. <laughs> You've got a border. And so you're creating these, these countries <coughs> as an abstraction, isn't it? As you draw lines on a map, there's an abstraction. Because yeah? I can't see any lines on the, on the, on the ground. <laughs> But suddenly we're in separate countries and we're different people and there's them and us. So this is the kind of thing that happens. Isn't it? Very, that's a very normal thing. You know, it's not necessarily done with evil intention, but the abstraction process is very... It needs to be negotiated. Who do you want to belong to? Who do you see as your people? How are you going to work together? You know, softer rather than this process. And of course this is happening all the time. Many, many ways. You know, genocides, um, discriminations, various kinds, cause through abstraction. Mm. And the beauty of healing that, and come to the feeling level again. We're human beings. <coughs> we uh, experience good and bad. We experience pain and pleasure, we experience love and hate, we experience confusion, clarity, and so forth. You know, where, where's the lines? <coughs> Entering the human field. All dhammas converge on feeling. Uh, so, the tendency to abstract, you've got to recognize it, how philosophical one gets, however intelligent it is. It's true but not right. It's, it's nice. Clarity is a, is a lovely thing, you know, but it's, it's seductive. So, you know, coming to the feeling. All dhammas, all direct dhammas converge on feeling. It's measured from the immaterial or the material. doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, so we're not really making an issue dividing the material from the immaterial. This was one of the big splits that occurred, dividing the immaterial from the material. So on that level, then the immaterial just becomes the world of thought and logic. And that's what tended to happen. Yeah. So the mind is now the abstracted <coughs> domain of thought and logic. Cool, clear, wonderful, sort things out. And that's assumed to be the immaterial. So yeah, that is different from a rock, because it doesn't feel anything. But once you take the word mind, and you begin to unpick it, say, well, the Buddha didn't really, what did he say? It's chitta, chitta. It's heart, it's awareness, it's that which feels and resonates. That's what we're cultivating, not the abstracted, ethereal domain feelingless thought however attractive it is because mm. that can't be liberated <coughs> mm. so we 
you know, we're beginning to contemplate. But then the way in is you contemplate a line of thought. We all have this potential, and you notice when it springs up. Contact, feeling, and then we, oops, that's right, that's wrong, you see, wait a minute, where did that come from? <laughs> you're one of those, you're, you're a neurotic, psychopathic, sociopathic, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, get the label, <laughs> the labelling starts, doesn't it? Yeah. And, okay, let's just go back to what was felt. Disturbance. Nothing unusual. Contact. Something's welling up. What's welling up? It's internal, external, it's material, immaterial, whatever domain it is, this is our territory. The welling up. Breathing in, breathing out. Breathing in, breathing out. Mm-hmm. This is where the Kaya Sankara is so helpful. That means because where the you have these the three, the Vajji Sankara is this process of articulation that we're very good at forming concepts and that easily inclines towards proliferation it easily abstracts it's a tendency to abstract because it gives us clarity it takes us out of feeling and yet essentially you train your Vajisankara to enter feeling so this is our, all our training is just this why the teaching is in words You've got it. You've got this Vajji Sankara, the ability to conceive, articulate, use language. It's your responsibility to handle this thing. Because if you don't, it's going to spin out into abstraction. Therefore, right thought. Therefore, right view. You know, these are, it's not a dismissal of thought. It means you realize the power of it. And you're responsible for that. You turn it. What's happening? Use inquiry. It's called Yoni Sikara, deep attention. You start, hey, where did that come from? What's that about? What's the meaning of this? Where's it getting me? What's happening? (laughs) Where's it getting me? You know? Oh, you shouldn't have said, but you didn't take, no, no, where's it getting me? That's what you want to know. Okay? So when you, this is called Vitaka Vichara. It's a primary tool in meditation. So you know, you know, any time to meditate really means, well, it really means a number of things. But one of the primary qualities I would say, defining characteristic, is you use Vitaka Vichara. Means you, you're going to do meditation, and by you know, per se, then you Vitaka means you, you turn your attention towards something. What's that? You give it a name, doesn't matter, you call it Blue, Henry, whatever you want to call it. Give it a name, you kind of, you know, something you can aim at. And then how is it? So we're doing this something pretty neutral, first of all, like our breath. Yeah? Or our body. It's a direct experience. Of, well, what's that? What's that? That's Vitaka. Where's that? What's that? Just point. And then how is it? So we're doing something that's pretty relatively neutral your bodies are not great but uh, breathing in and out is about as good as it's going to get really <laughs> so what's that 
you know, and then of course one doesn't want to do that. The mind wants to think about something, so you train it. This is important. Get it, and if you, the tucker is not enough, you can keep pointing that thing, and eventually you just go numb because you're not getting it. You just keep obediently pointing. Go there, count to ten, stay with this breath, come on, you've got to do it. Another in breath, out breath, come on, get in, oh, shut up. <laughs> I want to go play. <laughs> So you're going to have vichara and say, well, how is it? So vitaka is like the finger that points, and vichara is like the palm of the hand that handles, and you need them both. You've got to get that finger to put that thing in the palm of your hand. How does that? How does it feel? How does it feel? You know, so vitaka organizes contact. So it's contact that, and then how does it feel? All dhammas converge on feeling. <coughs> how does it feel? Feels okay, well, yeah, but notice that that quality of feeling perhaps subtly changes, it swells, it becomes strong, it becomes less, it subsides, it fades, it's mildly pleasant, it's slightly struggling, and you're just staying with that. And viveka, the ability to, to step back, to expand awareness, to just step back and expand awareness. And viveka. Um, another very, very significant function in meditation, again, a, a kind of a, a, a essential. You know, there's no meditation without Viveka, it's obsession. Viveka is this ability we have to just step back, you know, I could say. And it's again, it's a tricky topic because you use a word like detachment, you're liable to dissociate. That means you, you go, oh, detach means don't feel. Don't feel anything, space out, you know. You know, detachment means indifference. Detachment means don't enter the feeling. Uh, no. No. Because the Buddha is saying, there is a kind of pleasure that is born of detachment, born of viveka. So how can something that doesn't feel give rise to pleasant feeling? It must be about feeling. But it's the feeling that occurs when the mind bears something in mind and widens and softens to a place where we can hold that and be with that feeling as it changes. Yeah. Where we, this is exactly what's necessary because the tendency to get a feeling and the feeling sticks into you or it doesn't mean anything, you know, we don't really get it or it's too powerful because we can't get the viveka. Stepping back to to get to be able to handle it. So Viveka allows us to step back and stay in the domain of feeling from a safe place, from a comfortable place, a place where you can actually assess, digest, process, calm, soothe, steady the feeling realm. Now this is really what meditation is about. Now you can take those terms, vitaka, vichara. Vitaka could be called mindfulness, the ability to just define something. Vichara, sampajanya, the ability to handle it. Viveka, the quality of dispassion, wisdom. You know, the, but if you like, those are the results, but these are the tools of it. There's no wisdom without viveka. Viveka means you get back, oh, it's, oh. yeah, then, We've supervised, we've exercised authority over it with mindfulness. 
and we've supervised it with wisdom because Viveka supervises it does not detach in some kind of out of it way it just comes out of the reactivity to a place where we can feel the feeling and let it be felt and this, this you know you get this then most of the meditation topics are is you've got you've got the right view on it you know what to do doing it is another thing but uh, you've got you've got the you've got the main idea because it takes quite a bit actually to find out how wide how soft how what how far you have to go with your vacuum before you can handle a feeling but certainly you know that the the support and the advice is to try to go to your body field because your jitta field is extremely volatile heart is extremely sensitive and volatile and this again is the problem with emotion is often we we get into the emotion and then we get drawn in and the heart is just bubbling and jumping and volcanic and yeah yeah but no it's not to deny that but we need in fact to get the space to be able to process that this is what the body sankara will do if you come to the bodily sankara it does not cut off the jitta sankara it's not like shut up get to some safe place in my body it's just you return to the body energy and you bring the body energy onto the heart which is essentially the process of breathing in breathing out through the feeling into the feeling realm and i can't get it more direct than that it may sound mysterious how can you breathe into a mood well find out (laughs) you can i assure you And it's necessary. So, you know, we have different places, <coughs> and almost the, the most um, refuge place is the spinal axis, because in this place we have, we are the, with us, there's the mountain. You know, there's a sense of steadiness and something quite serene in a way. But it's very connected to the earth. We feel grounded, we feel steady, and this is about as far back as you can go. Yeah, before, if you can't get, you're going to dissociate. If you're any further out, you're going to you're going to go out through your top of your head and dissociate. This is this is as far back as you can go and still be in your body. So this is the safe place because here you can, you bear that in mind. Then you know you can feel the emotions, the feelings, but you just got to, you just got enough space to be able to be present with that. And if that doesn't work, then you just got to say, okay, park this for now and go out for a walk or something <laughs> or come down we'll deal with this later yeah. so the body acts as that kind of uh, refuge for us this is why so my opinion embodiment meditation is is safe and necessary if it's a bit slow and uncomfortable yeah. When you come out of the uh, world of distraction, you recognise why why one's in it so much. Life is pretty overwhelming, you know, in some levels, because we're entering uh, sometimes without really really knowing we're entering the field of human karma, and you know, 
and entering the field of as practitioners we're entering the field of the Buddha Dhamma and that doesn't give you a lot of opt-out clauses you can be conscious and awake and sometimes you kind of oh dear Just remembering this time, because I'm now with more Kilisara and Tanisara, so we had this time in Tibet together, which is, which is still I go back to, find myself going back to time and time again. These places don't, they don't really close. And I remember this very lovely, or mind, mind-boggling time we had, just pretty casual actually, before we, we were going to Mount Kailash, just before we got to Mount Kailash. And we were just coming out of Klasa, and we had a little piece of packed lunch like a boiled egg and a banana piece of bread or something because you don't really feel like eating very much at that level and we just thought well, if we, we'll stop somewhere and have a munch you know so we pulled up by the side of the road and there was some sort of little wall there got out and started coming getting our lunch out and this kind of you know one or two people came by you know and they got this sort of these Tibetan people yeah. they, they, they were wearing <coughs> Carpets from an old refuse dump. <laughs> just rags upon rags. It's kind of, you know, they're wearing to keep themselves. And they're also pretty, their skin is almost grey because they don't really wash very much. You don't need to at that temperature, at that, at that altitude. So, you know, these well, people coming up and they're kind of checking us out because their village is just up the road, up the hill a bit. And they come down to check out who these strange phenomena are. In a car, so they come down and look at me, and then they sort of come before they offer their head. So, you know, but they sort of touch this person's head, and they, oh, they look up and they look, and then oh, and they come back. eventually the whole village come down. <laughs> Mothers carrying their babies, they all come down, they come to me. To be touched. I'm going, gee, you know. And I don't know if I can handle this. <laughs> so this other monk I was with, a very fine man, and he couldn't handle it. He went off, I was going off to wash the dishes, you know. Because, <laughs> you know, these people come down, off, you know, offering you their head. Sit, sit on the wall. Hold your back up. Just touch the hand, and they look up with eyes of joy. And every time you get these eyes looking at joy, something just stabs. Not painful, but like such acutely deep trust that it just pangs the heart, you know. And then there's people coming down. You see, they've got some have got you know, some kind of wound in their shoulder and they say, you just touch the shoulder and you touch it and this cloud of dust comes up from the cracks. <laughs> you think, you know, this is just so poignant. You know, here I am and I, you know, I'm so-called mendicant. I get more resources 
channel through me in a week than these people will have in their lifetime. You know, and here I am, you know, trying to hold that that paradigm of such gross inequality. And the only thing they're asking for is just to touch. Just to touch. Just that moment when, you know, the boundaries drop. Uh, Mother's bringing their little babies down. Touch the baby. I think eventually we were kind of more or less starting to melt down. Uh, so we, you know, okay, get in the truck, give them our food. That's <laughs> the bananas as well. After lunch, <laughs> and they're still passing their babies through the window. <laughs> Please touch, touch, touch. What is it? What is it? Contact. Contact. Feeling. And in that moment when there's the direct contact and the feeling, the boundaries drop, the selves drop, and it's just the heart resonating. And just, you know, I still see those eyes. I still see those eyes. And you think, you know, I have to hold the axis that can manage that and not make a person out of it. It's not me. It's not them. It's just, you know, the potency of having entered the Buddha's field wearing this kind of stuff means that that's that's kind of what it opens up. Some kind of quality of trust opens up and you have to have the integrity to handle it. So this is very powerful um, experience like this it's kind of happens in many ways and you know the heart just keeps opening and loving and you know I think geez when is going to stop um, can't go on living like this <laughs> uh, on a personal level you know it's the quality of heart that's present. It's uh, so I'm almost unbearably tender. But then there's the spine. There's the axis. And you stand, sit, present in that, hold that. Don't proliferate. Don't spin out into me and you and them and here I am and what does it matter and who deserves this and why should I bother and after all and it's just a superstition and da 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 da. No, just hold, hold the axis, trust the heart. What else can you do? Yeah. Supervise contact, supervise feeling. With mindfulness, frame it. This is a feeling. This is the movement of chitta. It's like this. And supervise it with wisdom. It's like this. So there's no me in it, there's no you in it, there's no future in it, there's no past in it, there's no should be in it, there's no why bother in it, there's no this will get me to somewhere else in it, there's none of that proliferation, there's just this. Then supervised wisdom, then is the liberation. Liberation really means the dropping of self. 
Now we may think liberation means I go off somewhere with my liberation and get happy. <laughs> I don't think it's that way. I think it's more or less the liberation from grasping, the liberation from proliferation, the liberation from self-view, the liberation from separation. That's what counts for me. So, of course, we do this internally as well, because in a way, internal and external is just just the notion, just the range, what's internal to anything. You can say we enter it, roughly speaking, in something that approximates the going internal, because we're penetrating um, the superficiality of the sense realm. Yeah, you know, I'm not saying it's wrong, it's just superficial. It's not bad, it's just superficial. We penetrate that. So you could say that it's internal. But the internal it really covers everything. The internal is bigger than external. It covers everything. Because this is consciousness. If it arises in consciousness, where you call it in yourself, another person, wherever it is, it arises in consciousness, then there's contact, there's feeling, it's your business. <laughs> and that can be just dealing with the tremble of a mood in your chest or your throat, a sensation in your shoulder, uh, memory, whatever it is, born of, rooted in some kind of interest, movement of inclination, um, originating with in attention, attention focuses on it, welling up, contact wells up, feeling. And then we frame the feeling, this is a feeling, Mm. frame it, feeling is feeling feeling has to be felt when the feeling is felt there's the one who feels the one who feels or that which feels we open that being more sensitive more spacious around feeling without resistance and without diving into it and somewhere in there we come to a resolution point axis where uh-huh this is where there's a sense of, of stopping and from there you've got some ground and you begin to just breathe through the feeling realm spreading through the feeling realm non-proliferation to the feeling realm and this is how you begin to sort clean the fields the chitta fields chitta is always activated through only through two things that's the beauty of it there's nobody else it's not the past it's not the future it's no it's not other people that are bothering you it's the feeling and the perception the perception is the image the mental Im- image that sits in your jitta and if you say really it will come even though there are two really it comes down to one because the perception the impression the image the memory so forth, gives rise to the mental feeling. And it's the mental feeling will always trump the physical feeling. It will always be bigger than the physical feeling. Yeah. You know? Right? This is why we can feel more hurt by, by a thought and by a word than by a stick. You know, you get a whack on your leg, okay, it hurts for 10 minutes, half an hour a day. You get a whack in your heart from a word that can last a decade. 
so the mental feeling always trumps the physical feeling and this is where we have to handle it carefully and but there is a resonance from the mental feeling to the kaya realm to the realm of embodiment that's that's where we can leave reactivity uh, feeling how the body is tensed agitated trembles senses itself within that breathing in breathing out steadying mm. and the system will actually will know what to do if you touch ground if you find that grounding point you don't need to remember very much apart from spaciousness and compassion and groundedness the rest of it will sort of work itself out in its own time it's a natural process liberation is the core of that dropping of boundaries dropping of selfhood self-imagery that is